to catch myself. It got a little emotional seeing Judy and seeing what she's go been going through. And then, of course, you see Dorothy back there. And I have had some tears shed thinking of, of both those dear people. They're easy to love, and you know God loves them. And so, anyway, to see Judy singing was such a... When you're singing when you're going through that, the valley... Blessing, and of course I thought of Mary Jane, and I thought of Thomas, and most of all I thought of Jim and the Braves won last night. And how much joy he's up there! I know he loves Jesus and he's celebrating Jesus, but he's probably doing the tomahawk jaw every <laughs> once in a while. I figure anybody that anybody that loved the Braves. So uh, anyway, it just means a lot. Tonight, the Fall Festival, we have an opportunity uh, to have a, a lot of fun and hopefully um, to see some guests here that are among us that we want to make feel at home, uh, to let them know that in a tough world, we all need a family, and there's no greater family than those that love God and each other, and of course, that's what we believe and want others to discover uh, about us, that we care about each other and our Lord. And so I encourage you to invite them. Uh, uh, we're going to take the next couple of weeks uh, focusing some on family. And uh, next week we'll talk about the husband and, and wife. and Actually, any relationship, we just crave for somebody to deeply love us. But we find out, and when we get in a relationship, it's not that easy. Right? So, But anyway, we're going to look at some of that. So um, just grateful we have an opportunity. And for all the people that are making it happen tonight, doesn't just happen by chance uh, that have worked hard for that thank you for that because that's a ministry labor of love um, to the Lord and for others as we try to reach out the community we we right we want to build bridges we've not barriers right and so grateful for that opportunity okay I need to get into the message here right I'm not going to read this whole passage, Mark 6, 32 through 56, and we're going to use some help from all the gospel writers who have parts of this account and brings it all together. But I do want to read the first two verses from Mark 6, 32 and 33. If you'll stand in our great God's honor, we'll start there and read. So they were away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Let's pray. God, thank you for your greatness, Lord. We crave to be great, to be seen, to be noticed. But we have to understand, Lord, that grace precedes greatness your grace lord poured out abundantly to all of us and father as we look at the lessons you sought to teach your followers and uh and the dirty dozen you know and uh, father that you reached out to god we too need your grace so just speak to us lord from your word and father may we leave realizing how we need you it's in your name we pray
around the time of World War One, there was a girl who was a good singer, and her church family and her family and those who loved her believed in her ability. And so they didn't have a lot of money in her little church, so they scraped together 126 pennies, nickels, and dimes in order to make sure this girl got some music lessons. So she took some music lessons, she sang in church, and people continued to believe in the ability that God had given her. When she was 18 years old, they managed to get her an appointment with a well-known music person in New York City. She went to the tryout. Unfortunately, she was so nervous that the tryout bombed. But don't worry, the people that loved her managed to secure town hall so that she could perform in town hall before a crowd. And believe it or not, the place was filled with supporters and those who came to hear her. But what Marion was not ready for were the critics who <laughs> tortured her and she went into a shell after reading the criticisms and hearing the criticisms of her attempt to perform. And she rolled around in self-pity. Uh, this went on for about a week, ten days, and her mom came to her and she said, Honey, we've been praying for you, all of us. We believe in you. And we love you. And you need to understand something, honey. You must learn that grace comes before greatness. And as we look at the section of scriptures today, Jesus is trying to teach the twelve this very important lesson. They went out and they had the authority of Christ. They were able to heal. They were able to call out demons. Um, they were able to have the very authority of Jesus Christ and they came back a little cocky and remember Jesus spoke to them and he said do not brag or take great pride in the authority you have and what you accomplish but rather what you should be more grateful for than anything else is that your name is written in to the book of life and we're going to see this morning as we look at the continued text in the book of Mark, he's trying to teach two vital lessons we're going to look at. One is how to serve without selfishness, and secondly, how to fail without falling. And so let's just jump right into the text here. We see in verse 32 that we just read that he went away with the disciples and they went into a boat to a solitary place. In other words, they are tired. They are exhausted. And they need a retreat. They need some rest. So that was the plan. Unfortunately, uh, that's not what happened. Verse 33, we read, The crowd saw, and they took off, and managed to arrive ahead of them. Now, one commentator said that um, this probably was a four- or five-hour boat ride. So I can imagine the disciples thinking, once we get there, Finally, there'll be some peace and quiet away from all these crazy crowds. But what they didn't know was that was the retreat, the boat ride. Because when they arrived, there were, well, 5,000 men to be fed. But many believe they didn't include those who were not men. The children and the wives and it, just the whole crowd. It could have been as much as 15,000 to 20,000 
people who were there waiting for Jesus and the disciples. You know, I, I don't think the disciples, when they saw people for as far as their eyes could see, thought, well, this is just wonderful. I think what in their minds was, what? Not again. This is so irritating. So let's look at two different reactions here as we look into the text. The first reaction is that of Jesus Christ when he saw the crowds. Look uh, with me. This is verse 34. He says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Was Jesus tired? Yeah, he was tired. But when he looked out, he was able to really see the people. Jesus wants us to be like him. How often do we see the crowd, but we don't see the people? We don't, we don't see the hurts. We, we don't see the struggle. Jesus did. When he reached out, he saw them. The religious leaders didn't. Man, they were all into the rules and missed the relationship like we talked about last week. They missed the relationship. You've got to keep these rules if you're going to be holy. Jesus was all about the relationships. He was the shepherd and he saw the sheep. And sheep, man, they're dumb. They need help. They need guidance. Jesus, the shepherd, saw the sheep in their struggle. So, verse 34 goes on. He says, they began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. So now we have the response of the disciples. Jesus saw the crowd, and there was compassion. The crowd, when the disciples looked at them, they saw frustration. Oh no, another sermon. More ministry. I'm up to my eyeballs in this stuff. But look at the response of Jesus in verse 37 to the disciples. After Look what they said, verse 36. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Let me translate that in the Todd translation. Get them out of here. I'm sick of people. But Jesus answered them, verse 37, you give them something to eat. That is, man, Jesus can be, he can rain on our parade. As, you know, as I used to always hear, now you've gone from preaching to meddling. And Jesus went to meddling. He he saw the crowd, and, and they're complaining. And he says, meet their needs. Get, get them some food. Cindy read me a story. From, we have Fitbits, and there's a Fitbit community you can look on. And she was reading down through the Fitbit community a couple of days ago, and she pointed out something to me in the Fitbit community. Uh, there's a couple that lives in St. Augustine, Florida, who are Christians. And they started noticing the homeless who lived around them. And she said one night as she was sleeping, she felt impressed by God to feed them. So she said they actually got out in the community and they, they met some of these people. And on Saturday nights, they started going and taking them food. And so they're feeding between 30 and 80 homeless people on Saturday nights. 
And she said, it's amazing. There always is enough food. You know, whoever shows up, it seems like we have enough. And she said, I have grown to really love these people. And there's a picture of her hugging this, this lady, this homeless lady. And she said she was so touched because this lady says, you know, I worry about you. I'm praying for you. And she's thinking, you're praying for me? But the problem is that you have something to say. Man, it is convicting. When we, how often do we think about, well, this, this, is, what, this is my church, and this, this is what I want to happen in my church. This, this is what I want to see. This, this is what I, wh- what's got what's to be done. But how often do we look at those outside the church who need to come to the church, but they don't come to the church because they don't know the church. They don't know the, the shepherd. They are lost sheep who, who are harassed, and, and they're helpless. Now, let's look at two different perspectives here. It's interesting here. When Jesus sees the crowd, he sees them as an illustration. But when the disciples saw the crowd, they saw the crowd as an interruption. An illustration, right? He's the bread of life. He feeds those who are hungry. He will take uh, the, the little fish and and the bread and he multiplies them now the disciples they did not create the bread and the little fishies but what they did do was they distributed them you and I do not create the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ it has been revealed to us And given to us in the scriptures the message of the saving power of Jesus Christ. That he is the resurrected Lord. I don't have to create a message. I don't have to be a genius in in coming up with some new bold idea. Uh, No, we already have the message. What we're called to do is to get the message out there. To distribute the message. To make sure that others hear the message. Secondly, Jesus saw an opportunity while the disciples saw obstacles. Eh, can't you just hear him? Lord, it's getting late. I like sleep. And there's too many of these people here. Lord, we don't have any money. You want me to feed them, but these pockets are empty, Lord. Uh, that, that's not going to happen. It's eight months' salary wouldn't feed all these people. They wouldn't even have a bite to eat. <laughs> so let's look at two responses. Turn me to John chapter 6. I said we were going to get the help of all the gospel writers here. Uh, well, three of them anyway. Uh, John chapter 6 also covers this account. I want to look at a couple of responses here. The first one is Philip, John chapter 6 verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. By the way, I love that phrase. Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. So, man, Philip, he doesn't respond in faith. But Jesus knew all along what was going to happen. He knew what he was going to do. 
uh, Charles Spurgeon said that this was the favorite text of George Mueller, you know, the guy who started the orphanages. And often with uh, Mueller, he didn't ask people for money or for food, resources to take care of the children. He prayed, and uh, God would bring what was needed. And there were many times he would be in there with over 100 orphans. There was no food to eat, and, and uh, he would stand and pray and say, God, thank you for the food that you will bring to us. And here comes food. This happened. You know, there was one time uh, that was documented in his notes that he heard a knock on the door right after he prayed. You know, he had nothing to eat while he prayed. And it was a good friend of his who actually ran a bakery in town. He had knocked on the door and he said, uh, my cart, food cart broke, the wheel fell off, bread poured out into the street, and I can't sell it to the customers. Could you use some bread? I can just imagine George Muir saying, you bet I can. God knew we needed it. He provided. So that's the way that God moves, how he works. He already had in mind what he was going to do in this time that needed a miracle. Uh, John 6, verse 7, Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Philip answered, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to even receive a little. So we have Philip's response. I also want us to look at Andrew's response. He had a little faith. Philip had no faith, Andrew a little. Verses 8 and first part of verse 9. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Barley was the cheapest of the breads. It was for the poverty-stricken. And probably... Uh, these barley loaves were more like a little pancake that would fit inside the palm of a child's hand. The fish were described by a commentator I read as being a small fish about the size of a sardine. Matter of fact, I hadn't ate sardines in years. My dad worked second shift. He had sardines up there. And he'd, sometimes I'd stay up late night and come in. He'd be pouring vinegar on those sardines. And, yeah, but anyway, these are like... The, yeah, get on something else. It, those small fish, like sardines, is what this little boy had. He provided. All right, going on in the text, John 6, 9, uh, disciples asked, How far will this food go among so many, Lord? In other words, I can just see them rolling their eyes, right? Lord, Hello? Well, you probably wouldn't do that after you saw him calm the wind and the waves. But I mean, you know, uh, be a little afraid of, of how, how awesome and great he is. So, but anyway, uh, I often thought if they do this scene in The Chosen, I could just almost see the directors having the disciples rolling around the ground in hysterical laughter, thinking this has got to be comedy because this isn't going to happen with this little bit of bread and fish. But notice Jesus' response in verse 10. He said, have the people sit down. Suddenly the laughter stops. What? Here's how one commentator uh, described it. He said, 
Here's the differences in the responses of Philip and Andrew. Philip said, the situation's hopeless. Andrew said, a miracle's possible. Philip produced figures to show what could not be done. <laughs> Andrew brought food hoping something could be done. And to Philip, Jesus would reveal his superiority to statistical impossibilities. To Andrew, Jesus justified faith even so small. So, so on in the text, John 6, 10 and 11, he says, There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. So can you imagine? I mean, here's Jesus. He's got these fish and the bread, and he's just constantly breaking and putting it in the basket. And the disciples are taking this food out of there. And it's like, how many pieces is he getting out of this bread and fish? He just keeps going. He keeps multiplying. How long did it take? It had to take a while to feed up to 20,000 people. And he just keeps breaking it off, putting it, and they keep carrying it out there, taking food, coming back, getting more. And it just keeps going and going and going because God is able. And Jesus just provides what is needed. And after a while, the crowd got it. There's something different about him. Matter of fact, they knew from the teachings of the scriptures. Listen to Deuteronomy 18, 15. Moses talking to the people. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. And they got it. The prophet, the Messiah, the promised one has come. Now, he's trying to remember, he's trying to teach them how to serve without selfishness. Put yourself in their shoes. You're following Christ. He's entrusted you to ministry. But you need to understand that your ministry is not to create the food. Your ministry is to pass out the food. We don't create grace. Salvation doesn't come from us, but we are to carry the grace and salvation message of Jesus Christ to other people out there. We, we need to pass it out. That's our job. So, what do we learn? We get caught up in our greatness. Uh, we can serve without selfishness by understanding our priority in ministry is others, not ourselves. We talked about in Sunday school this morning how easy it is. Um, we just get so caught up in ourselves. How will this impact me? How will this affect me? Uh, God, what are you going to do for me? But the real priority for us who follow Christ is not self. It's others. And that, that's critical. Peter, he said in 1 Peter 5, 2 in the King James, feed the flock of God. This is a mind-blowing verse. Feed others. Don't constantly sit around and eat all the food yourself. There's Tim and Karen saying they've had trouble with the Halloween candy. They got a little early, and every time they pass by it, they want to dip in and get some candy. Might be gone before Halloween. Well, hopefully not. <laughs> That's tonight. <laughs> but it's so easy, right? Uh, but feed others. Secondly, we can serve without selfishness by understanding our resource for ministry is Christ, not ourselves. 
comes from Christ. It doesn't come from us. I love the fact, though, man, Jesus could do whatever he wanted to feed those 5,000. He could have just said, filet mignon, fed him 3,000 of them, right? But what did he do? He chose to take what was available and multiply it. You know, that's what he does with us. He takes whatever you can offer to him. You say, it's not much, Lord. I don't need much. I need what you give me, what you surrender to me. And that is exactly what Christ did, and that is still what he does. We take what little we have, and under the power of Christ, it multiplies and expands for his purpose. All right, let, let's look at Peter's failures. Uh, John six twelve. When they had all had enough to eat, and, and I love it, one guy said, man, they were stuffed. You know, I remember when I was a teenager, I thought, can we out-eat the buffet? Can we drain it dry? Never succeeded. One time I went up to use the bathroom, came back, they took my plate. I didn't know if that was a personal message or not. <laughs> but you certainly can't out-eat God's buffet. There was much left over uh, from this. Um, and Jesus said, collect the leftovers, 12 baskets. John 6, 13 through 15. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous signs Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So they wanted to force him <laughs> into taking over. So then we come down to John 6, 16 and 19, and it says that they get back in the boats to cross the lake again. There's this stiff wind uh, that they're fighting against, and they're rowing for like nine hours and go three and a half miles. And while they're rowing, something happens. And uh, this is picking it up in six, 16 through 19. Uh, but here he says, it's dark, Jesus had not yet joined them. The strong wind was blowing, waters grew rough. When they had rowed three, three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were terrified. Man, they have been working as hard as they can, you know, fighting, straining, they're exhausted. And here Jesus just walking on the water, you know. Like, what? What's happening here? And you got Simon Peter, right? You, you got the other disciples there. Man, they're clinging to the boat. They're scared to death. What in the world's going on? You know what, you know what Peter thinks? <clears throat> Jesus gave me authority. I'm driving out demons. I'm healing people. I can do anything. I can walk on the water. He gets out. He climbs out that boat. And he stops and he looks out at Jesus and he says, uh, Lord, can I come out there? It was Jesus. He says, come. I heard Tony Evans preach on this one time. And Tony Evans said, Lord, can I come out and play? And Jesus said, come play, Peter, come play. <laughs> and so Peter gets out on the boat, out of the boat. He starts walking on the water. Uh, listen, this is from Matthew 14, uh, 29. 
He says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come on the water. Come. So Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. Man, he was doing it. He's got it figured out, right? Now, verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He's walking along, all of a sudden, man, that wind's blowing. The waves are kind of high. What am I doing out here? And he begins to sink. Uh, I love it. Uh, 30, last verse says, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Man, we often don't like to operate that way. We think, Lord, I will exhaust every resource that I have, and if that's not enough, then I'll pray. Then I'll try seeking you, but l- let me try first. Uh, I love this. Uh, Steve, Stephen David, another pastor, he, he had written this in response to this. He said, Lord, thank you for the many blessings of this day. I thank you that you are the creator and sustainer of all life. I believe you created this ocean, but I also believe my feet are getting wet. You know all about that, Lord. In fact, I thank you for hearing my prayer even before I ask it. And Lord, I think my waist is now wet. I want you to know, Lord, that I apologize for coming to you today. I came yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before and the month before that. I can understand if you're a little upset that there's water up to my neck. Now, I deserve to tread water for at least an hour, Lord, to do penance. But Lord, you know that I'm not a good swimmer. So in your infinite mercy, might you reach down from the portals of heaven and take my hand and lift me up. Amen and amen. So, if Peter's about to drown, he says, help! You know, it's that simple. So, a couple of suggestions for Peter's failure. The first thing, Peter failed after the training. Over two years of training, man. He should be the superstar. He should have it together. He's gone through Bible school. He's gone through the universe. He's been with the best teacher of all, Jesus Christ. And he thinks he's got it together. But after all that training, he fails. I love it. One commentator said, Ministry in serving Jesus Christ is like riding a bicycle with the training wheels, but you never get to take the training wheels off. Because you always need them. Right? You don't master the ministry. Secondly, Peter failed while he was being obedient. He was walking on the water. Jesus said, come, and he came. And we can be right in the middle of an act of obedience and fall into sin. It's crazy. There are times, I'll be honest with you, there are times that happens to me, and I'm thinking, Lord, why do you even put up with me? But praise God, he does in his mercy. Third, he was failing until he finally cried out in prayer. That's what we need to do. So how do we fail without falling? Uh, obedience to Christ does not remove the obstacles. He's walking on the water. There's still the waves. There's still the wind. It's still there. Don't think you're going to have a worry-free life. There are troubles that are going to be there. There are going to be obstacles to be faced But God is there with us as the obstacles are faced. And then secondly, the deep waters are never meant to drown us, but to develop us. We may feel like we're drowning, but he's wanting to strengthen us. Just remember that. He's making us into redeemers. I think Peter learned that. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. 
That's another way of saying grace before grace. Uh, back to Marian Anderson, and then, uh, as they say in the mountains, stick a fork in me, I'm dead. So, uh, Marian Anderson, uh, she did become famous. Her musical talent was recognized. She had many great accomplishments. Um, she became famous and well-known in her day. A reporter asked her, said, Miss Anderson, what is the moment you are most proud of? She could have answered, well, it may have been the time that I received the award from the President of the United States for freedom. Or maybe it was the time that um, I reserved as a that I served as a delegate for the United Nations. Or maybe it was the time that I got to privately perform for the President of the United States, um, President Eisenhower and his wife, and the royal family of England. Perhaps it was writing a book that was a bestseller. None of that was her answer. You know what her answer was? She said, my proudest moment was when I got to go to my mom and say, Mama, you don't have to take in washing anymore. See, here's the thing about Marian Anderson. She understood grace comes before greatness, and she never forgot where she came from. That is true of the child of God. May we never forget where we came from as sinners we are now saved by the grace of God through the miraculous one who gave it all so we may have it all in knowing him and in following him. May we constantly remember whose we are. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. It is grace before greatness. Father, if there is anyone here who has not tasted of that marvelous grace, a great day for that to just... Say before God, Lord, I need you. Help help me, forgive me, enter my life. Need that new start, Lord, do that. And so, Father, we know and believe when we place our confidence, our faith in you, that you receive us into your family and forgive us. And I pray that anyone who needs to do that, now's the time. He's waiting, God's waiting. So do that work, Lord. Or for the rest of us who maybe, we, maybe we've been trying to be great, Lord. And it's not gone so well. And so, Father, we run now to grace because we, we see, Lord, that we need grace before we need greatness. So, Lord, do that work in us. May we taste of your grace and see your greatness and let your greatness flow through our lives, Lord. So, Father, do this stuff, and we need you. And so may this time of response and invitation be worship. In Christ's name we pray.